How you doing this morning? I am doing well. Um, the, uh, yeah, and I'm glad that Antranig is here because I've there's been so many times when he's been up <laughs> at, at two in the morning. I'm like, if anyone has earned a 5 p.m. local time Twitter space, it's Antranig. So, absolutely. Uh, uh, I don't know why my mind turned here, but I was thinking of uh, bloopers recently. And do you remember the Twitter space we had where, like, I leaned on the keyboard and the recording had, like, three minutes of, of be- booping? Anyway. It's fair. This is fair. This is actual uh, justice. <laughs> what time is it there? There's Christmas. Nine. It's it's very civil here. Yes. No. It's a, it's a reasonable time for us to be It is a, wow, it is a reasonable time. I, I did think that, like, at some point we actually should do we've not done a space on time zones actually and not on the wait, 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 wait i know wait, wait, okay wait, wait, i know exactly wait. where you're going right now and it's not what i okay fine we need to do two twitter spaces on time zones one on what you want to do which is the the, the, the time zone <laughs> the time zone database no no I, no i think we literally did a twitter space on time zones Oh, that's why you were interrupting me because you felt that like that we've already done this. Like, yeah, no, yeah. we I did mean, it on think... time, and then we and we okay. and we brought time zones. No, no. So I don't mean like the nerdy parts of time zones, although all that too. I mean actually more like the human side of de- working with people across these big offsets because the like oh. that's not going away, right? I mean, that... okay, 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 okay. Yeah, totally makes sense. I I was like. Is this deja vu? Did I dream this whole episode? Because we we did you know the train stations in 1911, and I think right we we did. So we we we, what I mean more is the just the challenges of dealing. Because I mean, for example, a 12 hour offset, I think is unworkable. I've never seen it work. Yeah, I mean, which makes some of this like. um... You know, teams that are split between North America and India, I think, extremely challenging. Really challenging. And it's actually something that makes it, you know, something that when um, Ed Yordan had this book, The Decline and Fall of the American Programmer, which I think we've sure I've mentioned once or twice around here, but absolutely terrible book. But they uh, written in the 90s about how all the this, this software engineering was going to be in India and it doesn't deal with time zone at all. And it was my first time dealing with it just at any 12 hour offset it doesn't have to be between the US and India, but a 12 hour offset is just absolutely brutal because it means that I mean, somebody is absolutely off hours in that conversation. Like you're not both on there is no 12 hour offset in which you're both kind of, uh, you know, it's like what, 8 p.m. and 8 a.m. maybe? I don't know, but it's it's brutal. Yeah, my, my at my brother's company where he is the VP of Eng, they are um, spinning up a bunch more folks in India. And he says the way they do it is pretty inhumane. They ask the folks in, in India to stay up until 11 for the all hands at. So I would actually probably go one step further. I would actually ask them to work nights. I mean, which is also brutal, but it's like actually some, if you work, people do work nights, right? That is something that people do. People do work third shifts and so on. Um, So, yeah, but, but as you say, brutal, brutal. like tough for. So Christian, I'm trying to add you as, I keep trying to add you as a speaker and I'm, I'm not sure what, um, oh, is Christian not on the mobile app? I thought. Yeah, Chris, you've got to be, to on, be on the, the phone. phone. Um, and sorry, uh, we uh, if you're not on the phone, it won't let you speak. And I don't think it will tell you anything. I just think we can't turn you into a speaker. It won't tell us. And well, so um, 
But so I was in, the, so uh, first of all, it's it, great to have uh, the, our European friends with us. I I definitely got a full taste of this when I was out, and and actually this is a good kind of entree into this topic on the it was at the Open Source Firmware Conference um, just this a couple weeks ago. And uh, yeah, working out of Europe, w- w- being in Sweden and trying to work with folks on US Pacific is uh, it's it's hard. You end up, I ended up getting a lot less sleep, honestly. Oh, that's what, so. I spent a month in Prague when I was in the Solaris Kernel Group, right? To bring up that office, and and it was great because during the day I could get all this work right. done. No one was sort of asking for my attention. Then I would spend, I would stay up until three in the morning watching baseball <laughs> on MLB TV and like responding to contemporaneous emails. Yeah, and I think that like it, it is, you do have when you got a, that kind of. There is like just enough overlap where you can kind of almost plan your day and get some time. All right, Christian's back. Let's see if uh, oh, and Christian, I think is a speaker. Hey, yeah, you're here. Right. Very good. <laughs> all right. Yeah, I, I was indeed. I'm so sorry. Company, so I thought that just worked. no. That's a very reasonable. I know. Like, if Musk announces that he is going to allow Twitter Spaces to operate from the desktop, and also that he is no longer going to allow HPE GreenLake to run ads, my feelings about this whole thing are going to become a lot more complicated. Uh, <laughs> um, but I, 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 well, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm glad you're here. So, the, the Christian, I, I wanted to maybe pick up with the open source firmware conference because Adam, I don't think you, you've not gotten a chance to go to one of these yet. No, never. I'm, I, I, this, the legends <laughs> that you tell sound amazing, but no, I haven't been. I, so, <laughs> I, actually, wherever you get into the origin of that a little bit, because I think the first OSFC was in 2018. Is that right, Christian? I was not there, but is that is that the first OSFC? I think Philip can actually add more because he's the original founder of that conference and um, he can probably give some more insights on that. Yeah, we can hear you, Philip. By the way. Oh, okay, great. Uh, That's good. Yeah, so, yeah, when when did it start? So I think it was like uh, 2000, Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, it was 2017 or 16, I'm not sure. That was the first OCFC we did that was in Erlangen. And um, so the OCFC basically came out of the idea from the Kobo conference. So that's um, like the Kobo okay. project. And um, I was I was uh, like a long time um, part of that and also of the Kobo as a Kobo developer and so on. And so we had the like European and American Kobo uh, conferences. But the problem was like we could never meet with UFI guys and with other people uh, in this firmware world, and so we decided to to basically um, start yeah something which is more broad for broader um, let's say um, for the public more, and you have more different topics you cover instead of just talking about Corboot. And so that's where the the open source firmware came, open source firmware conference came from. And yeah, that's that's how it went like with the conference, and then later on, we started after the conference, we started to think more about how we can can set up a foundation as well and that's where we ended up with open that's great foundation yeah so first the, all, yeah the, the, that's great so in, in you said the first one was in 2017 2018 that was the long and air long basically in germany and then you and moved then to the us and then yes, were you um because i mean and and ossc 2019 which was the last time we met in person until ossc 2022 mm-hmm. um 
certainly I was delighted. To, it was a great conference. As Adam says, I, I, I have been, apparently become insufferable talking about the legend of, of OSFC 2019. Um, <laughs> but because it, it was pulling in so many different folks, it felt like a really old school conference, very uh, not just collegial, but, but very, uh, it was, you know, one of these old school conferences in that you have this kind of niche interest that you think no one else shares. And then all of a sudden you're in a room with 200 or 300 people that care about this really obscure thing, which felt really neat. Uh, were you surprised? Because, I mean, OSFC 2018 by, I mean, it looks like it was another great agenda when I, when I sorry, I had not heard of it when it was, when it was originally launched. Um, were, were you surprised about the, about the level of interest, the scope of interest? Uh, for 2019, um, we were a bit surprised that, that so many people are coming. Um, I mean, we did it um, together with Google and Facebook in their offices. And uh, for obvious reasons, um, like, I don't know, uh, 30%, 40% of the people actually came from Google or Facebook, right? So they just dropped in more or less uh, because they had interest in firmware um, and just came by. So that that was pretty huge. Uh, and in 2019, I think there were three, 300, 350 people around, um, which is for firmware, that, that's quite a lot, right? That, that's it, it is Woodstock, and and it was also. I mean, it's a, I think it's a good analogy, even though again, Adam's rolling his eyes even more, being like, "Look, I didn't go to this thing, and I wish I had." Okay, so just like knock it off, everybody. That's right. I've seen the pictures. Everyone was like, "News on the wall, body paint everywhere." But the but the density was also really high. I mean, this is not like a you know, this is not something you're going to because, you know, it's not, it's not a KubeCon or whatever. This is not a Linux Foundation conference, some, you know, massive kind of undertaking. Like, people are there because they're interested in the topic. And so the density, I thought, was really high. And I loved, like, you did a hackathon um, after OSFC 2019, which was tons of fun. Yeah, yeah I think um, what we're trying to do is, so to keep it very developer-centric, so that's, like, our real focus, so that we don't want to like huge product announcements or whatsoever, but rather than really, really, you know, keep it to the core and, and, and keep it to what the people are interested in, you know, I hacked on this and that. And uh, I mean, you, you see the talks, right? Um, like some of these talks really start that, yeah, I know it's hacky and I know it's, it's kind of crap what I did, but it kind of worked in the end. So that's nice. And you just share that. So that was great. And um, the hackathon afterwards, um, I mean, we do that in the office, like where we're coming, like the company that we work for, we do that as well, right? Sometimes we just sit together and, and hack on things. So we have a Friday off where, where we can hack on projects and we just love to, love to do that in our free time. So why not bring that into a conference where people, like-minded people are around and probably also want to do that. And I think that, that, was, that was a great thing. Hey, and Christian, have, have you seen industry participation over time? Um, you know, both attendees, I know that they're making product announcements, but folks from representing companies uh, tuning in? Um, so, I mean, obviously there are a couple of people from companies, right? So, um, Oh, pardon me. I, I guess I mean like uh, maybe offenders when it comes to <laughs> non-open firmware. <laughs> Uh, no, no. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Not yet. So, Not yet. The, fun, the funny part is also the hackathon ideas basically comes from the German hackerspace community. So, I'm, I was part of uh, 15 years of a hackerspace. So, and so they use it also for the hacker, uh, um, so for the biggest hacker conference worldwide, the Chaos Communication Congress. 
And so they have also everywhere hackathons about different topics. So I think it's it's quite famous German idea to sit together and hack on things. So it's also deeply rooted in the companies and um, yeah, in the hacker culture as well. Actually, in 2019, before the OSFC, we also did a small hackathon um, in Bochum in our hacker oh, okay. space, right? So in that local yeah. hacker space, yeah, yeah. and uh, that was that was really great. Um, but that was really different, really. So that. You have to imagine this like a room with 25, 30 people uh, from all over the globe. So I don't know, David Hendricks from the US came in, right? A couple of people from Facebook, from Google, from the Netherlands, like really a lot of people for four days just hacking on, on firmware. Uh, that was great. And the hackerspace is right um, underneath a methadon clinic. The whole setup really is... Um, yeah, it, it looks like you could imagine a hacker space, right? Like an old, old uh, couch is, you know, in that one corner and like LED panels on the walls, you know, and you can play some games here and there. Um, and um, there was one guy really dressed up in a suit because he thought it's like, 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 a, like a serious event, I guess, right? So he, he came in with a suit, right? And has like a small, small uh, suitcase where he has his laptop and, and came Ryan looked around was like, okay. And he completely was kind of lost. They were like, okay, what, what's going on? Am I right here or what's going on? Um, and that was like pure fun actually. And next day he came with shorts and t-shirts and just started hacking on stuff. So that was great to see. Um, and I think this is like what we do and, and what we love to do. And why not bring that also? Yeah, no, that, that's great. When I think it's, it's interesting, you also get this amalgamation of a lot. I mean, you obviously have a bunch of big companies there that have, and you've done an excellent job of pulling in because you want to have, you know, the, the HPEs there and you want to have the, I, I don't know that we've had any AMI speakers from AMI, but you've had an Intel presence and an AMD presence and certainly an Amazon and Google and, and Meta presence. But then you, at the same time, you have folks that are there because that, that are, are, are individuals that are not, that are either students or they are, that they're hackers that are just interested in it. And you get this, I think, interesting amalgamation of, of folks. Uh, actually, it was with uh, at least one person who was at OSFC. An American was at OSFC in Sweden 2022. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm actually here because you, you guys were talking about it so much on, on the metal. I really wanted to go. I'm like, oh, wow. All right. This is, I hope. Uh, at, but he had a great conference. It was fun. So, so nice sales there, basically, that you're doing for us. Oh, well, but I, and I think that, honestly, I, I, I don't, I mean, I, I feel that I'm just expressing what's going on. I feel that there's a real grassroots movement. And I feel that, I mean, mm. it, it feels, you know, for so long in my career, and I, I mean, you must have felt the same. Adam, I know you felt the same, for sure, where it just felt like firmware was going to just stay proprietary. It just did not feel like it was on a trajectory to be opened. There was... Uh, I, I mean, I remember a particularly uh, low moment talking to Intel in 2012, in 2012 and uh, one of our uh, our current colleagues, Keith Lasowski, was there with Robert Stocky. Keith and I were talking to the Intel rep, talking about and being just emphatic that we we absolutely needed uh, open firmware and the uh, classic Intel in that the engineers in the room didn't disagree with us. Like, no, no, I, yeah, no, those are all really good points, but it just doesn't feel like it's going to happen. And for like, it doesn't feel like it's going to happen. And the, they were not, I mean, they were supportive of it in the abstract, but I think all of us in the room felt like just, this is just not going to happen. It's not on a trajectory to happen. And it feels like 
you know, that was only 10 years ago. And it feels like there's a lot of momentum. Am I, am I delusional or, or have things shifted in the last 10 years? So I can probably answer that question. So I'm 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 not that long there as Ron Minnick, who's the founder of the Coboot uh, project, or Stefan Reinauer, which are both like basically founded everything and started with open source firmware in 1999. Um, but uh, in general, it's always an up and down. So it was always a fight um, with SOC vendors and also with OEMs to to succeed what we plan to do. And so it was like in, I would say in around 2000, it was um, the quite easy thing because um, they still started early and there was not so much firmware out there. So, I mean, the f overall firmware growth on a chip level is like from the 2000, from, I would say, 256 kilobytes or probably we already had one megabyte, but I'm not sure. And I would probably say less than that of uh, of firmware on on a SPI flash and now uh, nowadays it's 32 to 256 megabytes so um the firmware growth was not that as a lot uh, not a lot and so a lot of vendors they still uh, made it available so still made it um uh, possible that you can launch your own firmware on yeah. the devices without any security restrictions and so you could basically um do your own thing right so as long as you know what you're doing there you probably can write your own firmware and launch it and so it was easy and then in 2000 i think 12 or something like that they got like security technologies like bootguard from intel and some other technologies introduced for security reasons um, but uh, the thing is, it made it it made it harder for for individuals to work with the topic, and so we had to it slowed down a bit, and then it just started to to grow again. I think around two thousand sixteen um, or seventeen, not sure, but around that time it got speed speed up, and so it was also um, finally um, people got awareness about the topic of uh, firmware and development in general, and also firmware security. So that was quite important. And security was one of the major points for a lot of companies, um, transparency control as well. And so um, it somehow started up and now we are on a good way, I would say, to achieve the goal with open source firmware. It's still a fight. So it always goes down and up and down and up, depending on which kind of SOC vendor is, is trying to move into the right direction. But I think with even with five and ARM and other SOC vendors being more open, it's uh, it's a clear shift that we see in the future. So yeah, yeah. Well, so th th that's a good point too. That it was it was actually more open at one point, and then it actually became more proprietary. And that 2012 moment may have been actually that's interesting that that may, I hadn't really thought of it that way, but that may have been a real low point for in terms of kind of maximally proprietary firmware or kind of entering this maximally proprietary era. And you talk about the security for sure. I think also there's a uh, I mean, security was both prompting these things to become more proprietary, security through obscurity. Um, I, I I think for me, a big issue is just this, the pace of platform enablement. And I mean, one of the things that we've talked about before, but man, I'm definitely, we're on, just on the front lines of, is how much comp more complicated these SOCs are. And, you know, the end of Denard scaling and in 2007 and what that meant in terms of pulling more cores on die. And then if you pull more cores on die, well, now you have to have this other software that actually manages those cores and those cores, those management cores are are completely opaque right now. Uh, the PSP on AMD, the SMU on AMD are all completely opaque. The ME on Intel is completely opaque. 
Um, and I think it's really important that we, like it, it, we, the microprocessor now is this hybrid of software and hardware and that software component, it's not just microcode and that software component is remains proprietary. And we've really got to open that up um, because it's, it, it's, it's impeding our platform enablement. It's a, it's a, it's a real problem. Yeah. I also think that it actually really got more momentum within the last couple of years, right? So I'm, I'm in that space since like four or five years now. And so I uh, probably uh, don't have like the, the huge view back basically on how it was like 15 years ago. However, um, in the last five years, you really, you really feel that momentum basically. Like a lot of people, uh, a lot of companies actually uh, want to move to open source here. Exactly what you said, Brian. Um, to enable their platforms faster, to be able to debug their own platforms, like what's going wrong and what's not, right? Because the reality is that if you cannot if you cannot debug it anymore for whatever reason, you just have to send the platform to Intel yeah. and say, you know, fix it for me because I cannot do it anymore or to, to any other SOC because you cannot look into the code anymore. And that's like a real big issue that you send out your platforms for a couple of weeks, right? This SOC vendor starts debugging the whole thing, sends it back to you. Um, that kind of delays the whole process by weeks or months, basically. Um, and we see that um, that that a lot of companies really go into that route, um, hyperscalers, but also like medium-sized industry um, companies that um, that they really want to have control over how they can enable their platform and how they can debug their platform and how they can maintain it. Yeah. Um, and that's that's a huge thing. So do you think that the Bloomberg Super Micro story helped accelerate this at all? Because the I, this is, you recall the story, and Adam, you read the story, remember, in, in 2018. Yeah. Yes. And um, I, I, I wonder if that story, which is uh, seems to be false, um, has never been verified, but I think could have been true. I think there was a plus. Travel Hudson has got a, have you seen Travel's talk on this, Adam? Oh no, my god, it's so good! So, Travel Hudson, who is delightful, and have you ever, have you met Travel? You spent time with him. Oh, no, I, I think I just know him through the on the metal oh, man, I, I, episode, I, right? Travel, Travel's so great. Um, and it actually, well, a highlight for me and for OSC twenty twenty two was being able to hang out with Travel in Sweden. Um, but uh, and you you use Travel's firmware, I think, right? I don't. <laughs> That's right, the uh, magic Lamp. right? Yeah, uh, it's awesome. I mean. I, I mean, firmware on the camera. Also, huge respect for the guy for, because he does. He not only made this amazing thing, he also let it go. And uh, I feel like I'm often over two on that. <laughs> but uh, I think both both of those are incredible skills, right? To make something beautiful and really hand it off to the community is is extremely impressive. Yeah, and it's kind of like the way he actually. This is like his preferred mode of operating. Is like I like to like you know kind of go into this kind of new territory open things up and then hand it off. And I like, I like to find people that I can hand it off to. And you know, the magic lantern that, which is the can the firmware on the Canon D the DSLRs, which I always, I mean, man, the guts, I just do, I do not have the courage to put my own firmware on something that I have paid too much money for on like an SLR or a, <laughs> like a car. Like I just, I, yeah. I mean, you know, the degree there, which I've injured myself just at oxide. I mean, I would, I would absolutely injure myself putting my own firmware on a car. I would, and I've got total admiration for the folks that have, that that are that are are doing that. But so Trammell has this great talk called "Mod Chips of the State," where he shows basically he's like, "Could I create something 
that is this small and 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 could actually meaningfully distort the system. Um, and it's pretty interesting and, and shows that like, yeah, this, like, this, this could be done. I think, and, and, and Christian Phelps would love your take on this. I think this is one of those wake up moments. I think there are a couple of wake up moments for the industry. I think that was a wake up moment. And I think Spectre and Meltdown were wake up moments. I mean, and I think that those were, uh, where you, you had, a, you had people talking about some of these security issues that were the potential at the lowest layers of the stack. And then all of a sudden you had Spectre and Meltdown in the same year, 2018, that all of a sudden opened people's eyes. Do you think, were those things, am I, what do you think about those things that serving as kind of accelerants? Yeah, I totally think that 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 is true, right? So these um, these moments that you uh, described there um, is really something that 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 the uh, people really see now that you can really do harm in a system. That's that's really a security issue, right? Um, and we always get the same argument um, on on UFI rootkits, for example, as well, right? So it's it's the same story always that you say, um, but there are rootkits out there, and like yeah, but you know, no one hardly you know, abuses them or use them at all and these kind of things. Um, but if if uh, the story happened, like the Bloomberg story with Supermicro, um, people are really afraid of, oh, goddamn, um, there's some blind spot in my in my computer that I don't see or on my servers that I don't see that, that can really uh, kind of, um, um, yeah, attack or, or do harm to the whole system. It, it, and... Um, but do you think that, that but, kind of broader awareness accelerated the desire for open firmware? Yeah. Totally, yeah. yeah. I mean, firmware per se is like a, um, um, I mean, how many people know what firmware is, right? And what's firmware about and what's actually happening down there in the stack somewhere, right? You, you, you just don't care. Um, I, I mean, Philip knows these stories, but um, even like data center, um, operators or companies that run data centers do really don't know what, what what's going on in their in their lower stacks of of, of the platform, right? Is what does the firmware do? Do I really care about it? Not really, right? And and these kind of stories that get a lot of attention, um, I think they they wake people up a little bit and say, okay, probably I, probably I should take care of this, and probably I should like at least check what's going on on my systems and, and how can I improve here and there maybe? Well, the fact that it, that is and, effectively impossible to even enumerate all of the cores on a system. It, it, certainly, we the, the, the number of days that we have had at Oxide since discovering our last hidden core, I think now stands at like, you know, maybe it's like 12 or something like that. But it, it feels like we are are constantly, and I don't know that we could actually, in fact, I know that we couldn't, um, without actually decapping every single component that we've got, um, we there are absolutely compute elements and therefore firmware that we do not see because they are implementation details of components that we use. Yeah, yeah. totally. I mean, um, go ahead, Phil. Yeah, sorry. So, I mean, even the CPU, so the central processing unit nowadays has its own firmware for power management and other stuff. So, it contains like cryptographic keys. So I would say uh, overall, it's like uh, you're having uh, components in components in components. And so it's getting even more complicated. And so as I said, like 256 megabytes of firmware you have normally on a modern server board. So that includes BMC, BIOS, um, Southbridge firmware, um, additional probably optional option through um, PCI. Express and um, also all other things like um, like Super IO controller and whatever. 
So even TPM firmware for security chips. So it's it's a real um, it's growing more and more, and so the bus is getting faster and faster, and that's the main reason why we have this uh, this explosion, right? So um, and the future will bring even more firmware. <laughs> Yes, I'm quite sure absolutely. Of it. Even yep. more, more integrated yep. stuff and everything moving in system on chip. So SOC basically system on chip means move everything into one chip, and uh, we're getting more and more there. And I think um, you probably not only have one, but you have like uh, one which has which is really powerful with a lot of firmware components in it and sub components. And so yeah, that's that will be in the future will be a big problem. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that we are, and especially as you you, know, you look at these these cores are so small you can now synthesize a core be it a you know we've got a z80 derivative in the i don't know adam you saw this tv80 see the, the, yeah. the, the yeah. which is this, the, this uh xylog derivative but it's it is an open source core that is easily synthesizable so it actually i it, it shows up in more places than people might realize and of course the 8051 is 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 practically ubiquitous but the uh actually i think i'm very excited about the rise of the the cortex m0 plus line which is a, a super small microprocessor from a number of gates perspective and from a physical perspective but it's actually like a real 32-bit microprocessor as opposed to this kind of 8-bit nonsense um, so you can actually run a real operating system on there. So I'm actually excited about this trend. Uh, to, to your to your point about like we're going to see more of it. Like I think we are going to see more of it, and I think that's a good thing. But it needs to be open, and that's where like uh, that's I think kind of where we are in terms of like getting cracking this stuff open. So OSFC has been great, and I again thank you both for and and everyone that's been involved in that effort because it's such a it's been such a great conference. At what point did you start thinking about a uh, foundation? Because I, this is kind of why we're we're doing this now is because you, you're getting the the open source firmware foundation off the ground. When did that start occurring to you? Um, I think that started somewhere in 2020. Um, Philip and I kind of started talking about it. Um, we that idea was kind of floating around already that that we need some. Uh, some umbrella, some neutral ground where we can bind the community together because that that's also what OSFC is for, right? Getting the community together at one place, let them talk to each other, um, present your work and these kind of things. And that, that idea um, that we have to have these like, like a playground where, where we can bring everyone together uh, that came up around 2020, but you know, uh, sounded kind of crazy at first say so, okay let's start a foundation how do we do that i don't know who should to who should we talk to i really don't know right and um so it took a little bit of time until we really really got started on that well and open source uh foundations are i mean it's oh it's like almost like open source licensing and that it, it's like feels like any uh conversation about open source is destined to go into kind of the foundation vessel um and adam have you, you know with I know I've definitely have suffered this quite a bit. Have you have you dealt with a Linux? You've dealt with a Linux Foundation. Uh, only a teeny bit. Um, uh, actually, one of their sort of like umbrella, uh, you know, smaller vassal organizations that was trying to shake me down for some exorbitant sum for 
some very nominal gain on our part. I, I, that's it. That feels like the story of the winning foundation. That, that's, not, that's it. That's, that's the a summary. summary. That's, I mean, I literally, you could be talking about any one of their, I mean, I, I, I you're going to have to be way more specific to have any idea of, uh, what, it's a, so do you want to describe that a little bit? Because I think that that is, and I, I, Christian, I imagine you and Philip were kind of like looking as like, boy, do we go to the Linux Foundation? That's something that has been, uh, I mean, obviously I've got strong feelings about, um, but w- I mean, what were they trying to shake you down for exactly? <laughs> yeah, well, that's a great question. Uh, that was never really clear. So um, so I was, I was uh, talking to like, you know, again, one of these smaller uh organizations that was under the umbrella um they um they had sort of divided that organization into a technical steering committee and sort of a marketing organization or whatever and uh the 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 admission fee was for this marketing organization that basically did nothing allowed us to use the logo that we had no interest in using um and then all of the technical stuff was off to the side and divorced from it and i think the actually the breaking point for me is when I got fed up and I looked up in their, um, you know, 501c6 disclosures, how much the guy, the project oh, manager man. I was talking to made. Yeah. And when he was, you know, making $750,000 a year, I, I was just like, you know what, that's, we don't need to talk anymore. It's fine. I'll, I'll just go participate in the open and not use your Yeah, name. and they got very upset with me. I tweeted out their 990, which is the the, 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 yeah. the the federal form that you need to file for when you're a five hundred one c six, which is not a five hundred one c three. Five hundred one c six is a uh, is it is an industry consortium, effectively, not a a charitable organization. That's right. You can't write off your uh, donations to the Linux. Foundation. You can't write off your donations to the Linux Foundation. And, and so, what, I mean, one thing that actually I, I found really disingenuous about the Linux Foundation is that they had this donations page. And you would have these, you know, well, I mean, like, like, like your son, who's like, you know, oh, I, you know, I, I'm enjoying using Linux and I, I want to support it. So, you know, I'm going to take some of the money I made from, you know, mowing lawns and I'm going to give it to the Linux Foundation. And you're like, no, no, no. Like, like yeah. give it to literally any other corporation. I mean, <laughs> or, or, you know what? Keep it like, no joke. That's, that is a more noble or blow it. <laughs> things to do. Blow it on something. Yeah, just, just, just yeah, what is exactly. the dumbest way you can but think yeah. of you 15 year old can think of the fact, You're right. The fact that they have that donation page, you know, to suggest that it's, you know, Bernie Sanders getting, you know, $13 and 90 cents per donor, as opposed to, you know, shaking down corporations for hundreds of thousands of dollars is so disingenuous. It is very disingenuous. And I think, I mean, I, the, I mean, there are aspects of the Linux Foundation that I definitely admire, that and, and there are things that they do that are helpful. But there are all, they have created this extremely heavyweight organization that I feel is is looking after itself first, just bluntly. It's just like the actual artifacts are not something that. So I don't know, Philip and Christian, did you consider? I, go, I mean, with all that preamble, did you? I mean, I. I did you even look at the Linux Foundation, or did you think about that? I mean, I'm glad that obviously was relieved to hear that you that you uh, by the time you and I spoke, you'd already rejected that route. But is that something you looked at? So probably, I would say we 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 also thought about that. I think we discussed it once. But the thing is, like the Linux Foundation, in my opinion, is for for Linux or operating system related stuff. And so it was already out of question to just go with them. 
um, because I already got also experience with the Linux Foundation, so I think it's, it's too big and too diverse, in my opinion, and uh, we wanted a foundation who concentrates more on the needs of the firmware projects. And so that's why we basically set up then the foundation with other reasons as well, like uh, like failure safety, <laughs> because we're currently running the open source firmware conference. Um, and, but we want to, to have more um, companies join that and uh, make that independent from us. So that was one main point. And I think the Linux Foundation is, as you said, quite big. It's it's hard to work with them. They have probably also their benefits. I completely agree. But I also think you need to be like some kind of superhero project that they really take a lot of work uh, into you because uh, all other smaller projects, they, they basically left out. So that's, that's my experience with the Linux Foundation. Um, but yeah. yeah, well, I can tell you that the large projects are also very frustrated with the way they, they, they just do not run the, okay. the, and I mean, there is, and boy, the number of times I was in the room when Kubernetes is like, we're done, we're leaving the Linux Foundation, we're leaving the CNCF and which, you know, needless to say, they, they, they're, uh, that would be not, uh, not in the Linux Foundation's best interest. So they definitely were trying to talk them out of that, but they were the actual people that were running the Kubernetes as a project, very, very, very frustrated because they're not getting, I mean, like the things that, I mean, for a software project, like the things that you need are not flashy and they don't involve like gigantic events. I, I mean that, you know, OSFC is a terrific old school conference, but these, you know, these, these huge events that are, are really, uh, vendor oriented are actually not what you need when you're an open source project. Like you actually like, actually I could really use some help on documentation or someone to, you know, help triage incoming issues. And those are the kind of gritty issues that you really, and you know, as, when I was on the TOC, the, the technical oversight committee oversight in air quotes um, for the CNCF, that was something that, that really trying to get them to be, better about giving grassroots support for open source, because that is, I think, the bit that, that is really, really missing. And boy, I don't, I mean, I think that no open source community is more grassroots, I feel, than open source firmware. So I think it's really, really important that you have a foundation that is, that consists of the real practitioners. Yeah, I think so as well. And um, as Philip said, like, one of the reasoning, um, really was that I mean we're planning to um, to move the conference basically over into the foundation and that's why we wanted to keep it separate basically and that we have control yeah. over everything maybe the on that part um, because it's a, it's a pretty uh, yeah I mean in firmware it's a pretty big conference um, and that's something that that we own right now um, in, in terms of because we're running it uh, but we want, want to move that to to the community and 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 you know let let go of it basically um, so that that if we nine elements are not there anymore. The the the, the conference still continues, um, so we have to have like an uh, yeah something separated that that kind of owns the whole thing. Which is which is great, and I think that you know certainly speaking for we at Oxide, we are not just enthusiastic about about open source firmware. Obviously, open source firmware is very very important to us, but very enthusiastic to be among the initial members of the Open Source Firmware Foundation. We're, the, we, we're really excited that you're, you're doing this and we're certainly looking forward to, to being a part of it. Um, and I think in part because we love the way you're running it, which is uh, very oriented on the artifacts, the way the conference, the conference and the actual like supporting these, these teams. 
Yeah, I mean, we're really glad to have you on board. Um, and I think like Oxide is one of these companies um, that have um, so I, um, that have kind of the same mindset, at least in terms of open source and how we should do things than Nine Elements, for example, also has, right? So we we share we share the same spirit there, and I think it's just um, it's just good that we like both companies basically are there um, within the within the founding members to really start that and to to keep that core um, th that core spirit basically in in the foundation right and that we that we can move well, and the thing that i kind of love about open source firmware from an economic construction is that it is basically in you, you don't have this kind of problem that adam you might have had with this this vassal state that you were dealing with in the cncf where you've got a kind of startups that are trying to directly monetize software in the ecosystem so they have their motives for being involved can become somewhat questionable we don't really for in firmware it's like what people are selling is the thing and the, like the physical thing that the software runs on. I do feel like we, we didn't actually talk about the definition of firmware is. And I know Adam, I'm sure you're rolling your eyes right now. Like, I, but like if this is going to turn into another, like what is software conversation? I got like, I, I, I like no way. Um, but I do feel that like firmware necessitates a physical artifact. Can we, can we agree on that? Yeah. Okay. That sounds right. All right. Yeah. Yeah, and they're sort of tied to I, I know that I'm kind of like inching around like the chasm here, so I don't want to like us to fall in. But I think we can agree that there's a physical artifact. And that physical artifact is normally what is like, that's, that's not free. People are paying for that. And that means that there's a very clear business model for companies that are like, we make physical stuff. And as a result, like we can actually... I don't sell the software. The software is very important. It, the software helps enable the physical thing. But we are really incentivized and certainly at oxide like we've got i think god's own open source business model namely like we're incentivized to open it all because we're not really worried about someone creating a rival oxide rack i mean good luck with all that but uh and we would love to see the stuff that we've done low-level platform enablement with the stuff we've done certainly with hubris and humility and the stuff we've done elsewhere in the stack be be used by other folks would be terrific Yeah, let me try this out, and Brian and, and, and Christian and Philip too. Um, you know, as we're talking about this, it, it's so great that this conference and foundation are so grassroots. And Brian, as you say, things like KubeCon or whatever have gone off the rails in terms of that commercialization and every booth trying to sell you something. Uh, as much as it'd be great to resist that, I think that would also be a harbinger of success. That is to say, there there is, I think, in the future, this kind of dam breaking moment where it goes from default closed to default open. Yeah. And as that happens, then these corporate interests will want to participate and will want to show off their wares and will see it as a venue, not just for the creation of these artifacts, but to evangelize them. You know, it'd be sort of bad, but also uh, maybe, a, maybe a good good. Well, actually, I mean, the nice thing is like those corporations are doing that. It's just they're not trying to sell it to the, the conference goers. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Where it's like HPE talking about what they've done on their BMC and getting open BMC to work on their, their ILO effectively, but not actually trying to just really trying to show that off and not necessarily trying to sell it to you. Um, so um, yeah, no, I think, but I think you're right. I think that that's like going to be a, an indicator of, well, actually let me ask that you pose that kind of question to, to Philip, to you and to Christian. I mean, w what do you view as some of the, of the, the hallmarks of budding success here? Yeah, probably I can go first. 
<clears throat> so from, from my perspective, I think, um, I mean, probably that sounds strange, but um, I think um, it's uh, it shows uh, um, yeah the success if uh, the one of the most proprietary companies working on open uh, so on closed source firmware or in general on firmware development starts doing open source firmware stuff. They're probably not completely committing to it in the right way, but they're already starting to to be more open. So what I'm talking about is MI. You probably noticed. So they're trying to get into the open source firmware space. They're still going in the special way of that, right? In the let's say <laughs> special yes already, yeah, yeah very special let's call it special way but it's already a success that they think about it i mean before they never thought about it and i think this is like one of the biggest signs that things moving aside from other companies joining um and also that we got a lot of um, community growth in the open source firmware communities so i mean nowadays i think it's like i i'm not sure how many com um, contributors we have to the cobble community now but i think there's like around five or seven hundred eight hundreds i'm not sure so it's this is also another let's say big growth in that area yeah what do you think chris yeah i totally agree on that that it's good that these companies um, try to be more open and, and, and try to kind of embrace open source. Um, yeah, I totally disagree with the way how they do it or if they do it in general or if it's just marketing right now, right? So um, that, that, but that, that's a different topic, basically. Well, um, and, and AMI is in or, a very different, AMI is very different from basically everyone else in the industry in that AMI actually sells proprietary firmware, whereas everyone else actually sells the artifact, the physical thing. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, um, it's, I mean, you have to think about um, the traditional IVVs. How do they sustain their business model, right? If the business model is, uh, building that private property uh, artifact and selling it to you via like or licensing it to you, right? So like, how how do they how do they keep that um, th their business model up yeah. and running uh, with open source? And that that's that's a pretty big thing. Uh, and I think this is something that they're wondering about. Um, and I think it's good that they're trying to get into it. Um, but you know, it's not really. I wouldn't say that they're really really bought into this right now, and that they're really you know they're just you know dipping into the water a little bit and see what's going on and, and think uh, and, and, and look around there. Well, and I, I, I mean, on um, the one hand, I'm very sympathetic in that it is very hard to be disruptive, disrupted by open source. But on the other hand, I hope that, that and it's, it's great to hear, Phil, that you think that we've got some kind of budding participation from AMI. I, I do think it's important that you, no company is going to prevent this from happening. And so it's important that they realize this is going to happen to them. I mean, a, a big kind of flip is when companies go from "I'm going to prevent this from happening," to, and if this if this happens, it's an existential threat. To this is going to happen no matter what, and how do I reinvent myself in this world? Because it does necessitate reinvention. It's not, um, w which is really hard. And and it may be that the new business model looks really really different from the old business model, but that's something that has to happen. That's not something that that, that is – you can only hold back the dam on this for, for so long. Yeah, it sounds, yeah. Brian, like you're drawing strong analogies with the open source revolution we saw, you know, maybe in the aughts or the 2010s. Or for whatever. sure. Yeah. And, 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 and companies, you know, were able to – and, you know, for years, Microsoft spent all of its kind of energy – trying to prevent open source from happening. 
and Microsoft could not prevent open source from happening. Um, and they had to reinvent themselves in light of open source. And they've done actually, you know, honestly, I, I didn't think, did you think we were ever going to see a Microsoft that's as open as the one we've got right now, Adam? No, no, emphatically not. In fact, I was at a conference in maybe 2004, 2005, and I think it was one of the early open source conferences, maybe the first European OSCON or something like that, where Microsoft announced open source licenses and everyone lost their mind. And I just thought these are licenses without actually software <laughs> attached. What are we doing here? Like, what? Why are we clapping? But yeah, to see to see how they have shifted. Well, actually, so that's actually that that dovetails actually with Philip's point in an interesting way that you're saying that like so there was this these kind of things that felt very performative, um, but actually did presage some really fundamental changes at the company. So. You know, when we see some similar things, similar things that feel like only gestures from companies like AMI, we should be encouraging of that, um, which is not necessarily my first instinct. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so and let me ask you, how, Christian, how do you feel about, because uh, one of the challenges that you have, not when you're dealing with the IBVs, which have their own, the independent bias vendors have their own kind of uh, interests, but when you're dealing with uh, component vendors who have firmware components um, or have firmware in their, 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 their components, and they've got bits that need to remain proprietary. You've got these binary blobs. And because I feel like it, it, it's hard to be a, a total purist about this because if you're a complete purist, we won't get to open source firmware. So what's your, your thinking on, on binary blobs? Oh boy. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Um, I guess it's a big topic. <laughs> yeah, the thing is this, right? Um, if you're um, if you're trying to, I mean, this is what we're trying. Right? We're trying to change the industry on how we how we handle firmware right now. I mean, this is this is what we're trying to do, right? We're trying to be disruptive to, in the long haul, really change that. As uh, as Adam, I think, said uh, pretty good, that open is the default standard, basically, uh, and not not close, right? So you have to be very um, political, right? And you have to understand their needs and and their 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 issues and their fear on um, when they open like what happens if they open blobs up and these kind of things. And I do understand that they that, that this is like an iterative process that goes over a couple of years um, until um, we have, maybe, maybe not, um, maybe have a, have a full open source um, firmware uh, running, running on, a, on an x86 system, right? Um, like with all, with all the bits um, everywhere, with, with like, uh, I don't know, on AMD with PSP yep. and these yeah. kind of things. Um, so um, it's it's a very long long run, and you always have to. It, sometimes it's feel that you really have to uh, convince each and every person one by one right, to to really go that route. But I think at some point um, it kind of falls, um, and then it all breaks together, and then it goes faster and faster, and when and we will really be there um, um, and have an open system there. So um, I think it's a long run. Um, I don't understand why we have so many binaries um, actually in our firmware. I never understood that. Um, but well, I think that's yeah. I mean, I I think part of the reason you got binaries is, and I think in many cases it's not because people are uh, don't believe in in the kind of the inherent goodness of, of opening these things up. It's because the interfaces that represent are in some cases not even not documented at all. And like there's literally there are no, there's no documentation describing these interfaces, and there's a sense of like, well, 
we don't want to open this up because we we don't want to be committing to this interface and we kind of need to get people past that where it's like no no you can open this like it, it, the opening making the source code to i mean forget the psp i mean psp2 would be great um but but things like the system management unit on 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 amd milan it's like you opening that up or the intel management engine opening that up uh, actually uh, allows people to get greater confidence in the thing that you make and allows them to help you understand it, help you, yes, you know, find some vulnerabilities maybe or find some reliability problems. But that's going to be, you know, that, that community will ultimately be very net positive. But I think it's hard to get people there when you got these things like, yeah, but this thing isn't documented at all. You've got no way for people to actually meaningfully participate in this or what have you. Um, so as you say, it is a, it's a journey for sure. Um, and are you, are you finding that people are, um, that, that it is gotten easier to, to, to make that case to, to companies? To SOC vendors or to, to in general companies that, that, uh, build components that, that have, to um, actually, are you seeing a difference? That, that's kind of interesting if you're seeing a difference. Um, I'm not sure if I, <laughs> um, but I, uh, I, I don't think that that it really got got easier in that term. Um, I think um, the the view on open source within within, for example, SOC vendors is a totally different one than from 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 the community side, right? So what what open source means, um, and and I know if you have the discussion, say, um, what about if you if we talk about open source firmware and uh, we have these blobs where uh, there, um, do we need them all and and uh, and can't we get rid of them and, and you know take a journey basically or do that journey and open them up? Um, you always get the same argument that we cannot do it. And we already have an open source solution, which is this and that, and it kind of consumes the binary, but it works. Uh, we can maintain it and these kind of things. And I really don't think that everyone really got yet the um, the upside of opening up these systems, right? Yeah, and everything that you just said, um, that that really that you get all these um, uh, all these these benefits basically from the community, right? Um, I don't think that that it really that it really um, got into the minds of of the the people that make the decisions at, yeah. at the SOC vendors there. This is what I would agree on. So I mean, um, it's not about like a SOC vendor as a company. It's about also the development culture of the firmware development in this company. Yeah. So yeah, most of the, 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 the people in there, so not all, but a lot of them, they kept for the last 30 years in a, let's say, they put it in, into like the closet and don't get, let them out, right? So don't let any kind of new deep software development go through to them. So it's it's really um, like the entire firmware development is still based on assembly and C. I mean, so probably some projects now starting to use Rust, but I mean, this is like just early stuff, right? So it's like still like in the in the old ages of software development. Yeah. And so these people, so these people have really no background for open source because they're coming from a completely different background. Like, and that's why it's for them hard to understand why this is a benefit. And it's also a change of like, you know, some people like keeping status quo. And so I personally don't like <laughs> But um, they are not so so open for change, so it's a really really hard thing to do. Yeah, sorry. If I may, I think we have also as a, as customers uh, to to voice and to value the work you are all doing on this side. Um, I can share the story we did with HPE. 
uh, when we are uh, buying service and we are buying for millions of dollars of, of service, uh, we are putting a bonus on the one which are playing fair with open source. Yes. And I think it's a way also to share with them uh, that also it's not only a technical point of view to have open source firmware. Customers and end users want to get this open uh, this openness and we value it. And I can tell that one of the ODM have uh, lost because of open source. They were not able to do it on the platform where we have been selecting. And HPE did it well. There were uh, the open uh, the Gen 11 systems to have open BMC as a default. And for us, we said, okay, if you go on this way, you will have a bonus uh, on our evaluation metrics. And, and I think we have a greater responsibility as uh, end customers to value yeah. that and to be explicit with our I, providers that we want open source firmware. Yes. I think yeah, that's really yeah, interesting. I think, yeah, because, exactly. Sorry. Go ahead. Because w w what, what, you're, what you're doing is um, you're really putting system firmware, or, or, or it doesn't matter if it's a BMC or, or host firmware, right? You make it part of your business, right? And, then, and you make it part of your business decision. And I think that's a great way to go. And that's actually really, um, I mean, everyone knows how it works, right? They have, like the SOC vendors have to have a business case at hand, basically why they should drive into that direction. And um, Erwan, as you said, it's it's great that you say, okay, we have to kind of put our business basically or make decisions, business decisions based on, on, on the technology stack. And that also includes firmware. Um, and that, that's, uh, I think, totally the right it, way to Absolutely the right way In a lot of these do domains, you have not that many players in kind of a prisoner's dilemma where they're all staying proprietary and they all have sort of their mutual shared incentive to stay proprietary but all it takes is one of them to flip and then you know the, the consumers of those technologies to write that in as you say as a requirement for selecting something or a, or a bonus for selecting something. well exactly and i you know i think that the i mean we, and we've all heard it you know no customer is asking for this um, and I'm sure you heard it too, Val, when you, you know, people were, were, uh, it's like, well, you know, you want this to be open, but you know, you're the only customers asking for this. And I, I used to believe that, uh, I think it, it, many of us believe that, but then you begin to realize, like, no, 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 I may be, I, you may not be hearing this from everybody, but I, I am definitely not the only customer that wants this. I may be one of the few that's telling you about it. So I do think, you know, you got a very, very good point in that if it, those, it's the consumers of infrastructure when they begin to use the openness of a platform as a component. And it's not the only component, but it's a component of a purchasing decision. And for the, for those that didn't see it, uh, you've got a great talk uh, at, at OSFC 2022 on your journey um, to open BMC away from the proprietary BMCs with some terrific anecdotal, some terrific slash horrifying stories of, of firmware bugs that you've been, that you've encountered. Um, and I can also share that um, now I'm using this to uh, enforce open source firmware to other vendors, because um, I can share that during the OCP summit, uh, we have been visiting many vendors because we have a, a project uh, incoming, a great one. And, we were speaking about all these topics, uh, and I said to them, okay, now you know the rules. They did it. HPA did it. If you don't do it, if you don't do it, you have no chance to, to pass through because um, up to now, um, the open source firmware was a bonus. Now it becomes a requirement because one did it well. 
And now we, we are in, uh, in a position where we can increase the pressure to them because one did it. And once more and more, uh, I mean, by the time that more and more companies will get right on this topic, we'll be, as a customer, in a position to enforce open source more because one already did it. Yeah, um, that's great. You know, I, I think I may be a victim of my most recent experiences here on this one, but I was just talking to, I was at a conference for a SSD vendor and the interactions with the SSD vendor really made me feel like SSD firmware may be a long lagging indicator. <laughs> uh, you know, they, they had a big session on security that didn't mention open source at all. In fact, uh, intimated that open source firmware would lead to a less secure oh, product, well, which, um, you know, I sort of made enemies in the room talking about um, and, and, you know, insisting that a, a more secure product was a more open one. And yeah, I got this typical vendor feedback of mumble, mumble, lawyers, something, something, right? And not a lot of other customers in the room beating that same drum. Interestingly, though, at, you know, talking to other, other you know, customers who not only consume SSDs, but also CPUs, they were really interested in what Oxide was doing and what we were building and how we were building this firmware in the open and booting systems with this holistic insights about its capability. So it's so interesting that they were fascinated by open source firmware on one component and sort of dismissive on the other. And so I think for a lot of these kinds of vendors, it really, or, or, or pardon me, customers of these vendors, it really just takes some examples, right. you know, yeah, show yeah. me what you can do, show me that it exists, show me that I can have this, that this exists and isn't, you know, just a fantasy. And then it won't just be one customer saying it, it will, and it won't be just one customer thinking it, it, it but it takes that demonstration, uh, you know, of those capabilities. Well, and Adam, I'm really glad you mentioned the SSDs because I think that there's another, I mean, Philip, you'd mentioned this earlier in terms of seeing more firmware in more places. We now, as you have more and more powerful compute elements and also like more that they need to go do, you've got very sophisticated firmware in the SSDs that right now is completely proprietary. We've got very sophisticated firmware on the NICs, especially with the rise of smart NICs, to the degree that's going to, you know, you can argue about what degree that's going to happen or not, but we've got more compute elements out by the NICs. That's all proprietary. And then we've got the, I mean, I feel like the, 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 the one that's really lurking is the GPGPU, which is becoming increasingly, obviously, very important. And we've got there a single vendor with a complete hammerlock over the entire ecosystem. And that is all proprietary. So we've got a lot of work we, we need to go do uh, to get to. Uh, and, and I'm glad you were fighting the good fight. Um, and, and representing Oxide's good name. I'm sure they're like, yeah, yeah, come on. I know, I know oh, the you're like, yeah. They're like, oh, God, the Oxide people. This oh, jeez. Right. It's always open firmware this, open firmware the other thing with you people. You're the only ones asking for it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but that, that is, and so, I mean, Christian, do you, and actually, Philip, another point that I want to go back to that I also love that you mentioned is the cultural transformation that you're trying to affect. And I did, I was talking to a vendor that will definitely remain nameless who's like, no, no, like we're making good progress because we're using Git. I'm like, you're using what? Using like, oh, do you have a repo on GitHub? And they're like, no, no, but we're using Git. I'm like, okay, you did that. Sorry. I mean, it's great. I mean, congratulations, I guess. I mean, but I, I, I think. No, we're living indoors. <laughs> no, it's terrific. Yeah, you but should this try is it. Like, it's like, no, I, I have been trying it. Right. Yeah, but this is like, like using Git is, the, I would say, the top of the iceberg. So, I mean, someone from our team, David Hendricks, uh, from Facebook, basically moved once to, to the OEMs uh, to China. And they told him, 
So the most advanced uh, version control system you could find was Subversion. That was only one vendor, and the rest did like uh, uh, sending emails with zip files of code. Oh, that's dark. Yeah. Yeah, but that's still that's still the status quo for for a lot of things, right? I mean, we are also yeah. working together on 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 other uh, yeah, more micro um so more on MCUs, and that's still the status quo that you get zip files with this um, typical you know underscore final underscore something something dot zip, right? and um, that's <laughs> final final draft for yeah right. <laughs> Oh God! And that, that's just still the status quo, basically. Um, and it feels like that that this whole the whole software development industry kind of got stuck somewhere, and and I don't know why they don't move forward anymore. Right? And um, and, and I think that's also one of the problems that we need to need to tackle, and that we actually need to uh, need to push forward there, um, because that's really something that is lacking behind. Because this is not possible if you do um, I don't know web development, for example, right? It's like a whole different world, um, and you don't have that that you, oh, that you say, okay, I'm I'm sending you my homepage with a zip file. Well, so that, that's just not. And so this, well, yeah. I, I don't know it. Anymore. Well, and I think this is a very good point uh, th that we don't do this in other domains. And in part, we don't do it in other domains because it's a lot slower. If you were to do, I mean, did you ever use Cold Fusion? <laughs> oh, no. my God. I mean, it's like, but there, there were proprietary alternatives to the web. Flash, I guess, would be the kind of the proprietary alternative to the web. And those proprietary alternatives, due to the hard work of lots and lots of people, those proprietary alternatives, and on. Did we lose Brian, or am I lost? Uh, yeah, I no, lost I think him. we lost him. Oh dear! Cold <laughs> fusion—that's a tough one to pick up on. I—I <laughs> I, I think Musk must have pulled the plug on that. I just didn't like where I was going with that one. <laughs> he, he, How dare you I, I, like proprietary? Somebody has already leaked the email that I'm make, I'm forcing everyone to go to Cold Fusion, or they'll be fired by Friday. Um. <laughs> Sorry, I, I guess you lost me at Cold Fusion. But th there was a proprietary web. You don't do it that way because it's slower. It's faster to uh, much faster, much much faster. Like it, it is. And Christian, to your point, like we can't even contemplate doing using proprietary tools for the web because it's so much faster. We all know here in the room that this will be true for that firmware layer as well, that they will go faster if they are, if things are open, but they don't view it that way. And that's, I think, part of the, the argument that we're gonna need to show people. Uh, Lucas, you got your, your hand up. Hey, yeah, thanks for having this. Uh, and happy to see it happen during the day as well. Um, coming back to the firmware blobs, the binary blobs discussion, I wanted to ask a question about that. I'm I'm not an expert in this by any means, but the thing I've always heard is that if they open sourced their their binary blobs, that somehow an expert could infer design decisions about the actual underlying hardware, and that that would somehow reveal their their secret sauce of hardware design. Is there any? Truth to that, or for is sure. That, is that hogwash? Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. That's not hogwash. I mean, for sure, if you were to open source, I mean, open sourcing the Intel management engine would absolutely reveal design decisions that have been made. Open sourcing the PSP, open sourcing the the, uh, the uh, open is any binary blob, any of those binary blobs to make it open would absolutely reveal design decisions. The question is, 
are those do those design decisions represent real secret sauce or not? And I personally would say, yeah. uh, yeah, the design decisions, but it's like, by the way, that's not the hard part of doing this stuff. I mean, that's like that the like me knowing your design decisions does not allow me to get to a design any faster, really. Um, and it's also really hard to execute. So I don't know, Phil, what do you think? I, I, so, so basically, I call it hardware API. So I see the hardware as API. Uh, it has API interfaces, and you somehow need to configure it to run it properly. And so these blobs are interfacing these interfaces. And so you could say, okay, yeah, but the, there's probably some magic sauce in it. But the most stuff which has nowadays magic sauce is part of the sock burned into the chip itself. That means um, it's it's not real confidential information or not so much confidential information anymore. So it's probably 1% left or whatever um, from, 19, uh, from 100%. That means 99% are completely just calling an API. And I mean, yeah, you can figure out design decisions, but I mean, this is with all the APIs you have, like with REST APIs outside in the web and everywhere else, right? So, I mean, how do you develop against something you don't understand, right? So this is like completely useless. So in my opinion, it's a hardware API. It should be documented and it should be um, available. It should be um, possible to write open source firmware for it. But, but Lucas, I can tell you that your that, I mean that that perception is a very valid one in that it is something that even the executives at these companies don't necessarily know. They they, they become kind of they get this non-specific angst that if I open this up, a a competitor will be able to copy this. And you know if you're dealing with a you know something that's like, you know a GPU or an SSD or an SOC, it's like these things are not really like these are much more complicated than that. But especially because your competitor, your ostensible competitor who's going to follow this, already has their own mountain of foundation <laughs> where where yes. they diverged in terms of their decision process literally decades ago. So you think they're going to unwind that whole thing to go left instead of right to follow you down this path? I mean, it's just lunacy. Yeah, it is absolute lunacy. And I, you know, I did a, a, a talk on co corporate open source anti-patterns and uh, one, uh, one of the anti-patterns that, that I describe is this idea that your competitor is going to, is going to copy you. It's like your competitor, not only as you say, Adam, they've got their own mountain of stuff. Also, your competitor thinks you're a jackass. <laughs> That's right. Irrespective of their relative market positions, right? They, right. they, they go to all their customers and tell their customers what idiots you are. And, right. you, and, and then they're going to turn around and copy your technology. Give me a break. Right. And I think you and I saw that very viscerally when we opened Dtrace. The very first thing to be open sourced in, in Open Solaris in 2005 was Dtrace. And we're like, well, it's like, oh, they're, they're immediately they're going to take this and put this into Linux. And it's like, no, they think we're idiots. It's like, sorry. <laughs> if anything, right, it increased the NIH. I think, it, I think it did increase the NIH, and it forced it to make an even, like, make weirder arguments, basically. You know, also hearkening back to those bad old days, though, you know, as we open-sourced uh, Solaris, there was a binary blob, wasn't there, Brian? Like, there was some pieces yes. of the boot yep. process yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. like, we didn't have IP to and, or, or something like that. So it, it, it was a little complicated even back then. Okay, so that's actually a really important point, Adam, because this is, I think, even more true, like way more true with this layer of the stack, that the reason you can have a proprietary blob is not just because, like, we don't want to open it up or it's not documented or what have you. It's because, no, no, we can't. We license this IP from someone else. Our agreement does not allow us to open source. Like, that is actually, I think. Yeah. That and, it's, and it's like we've changed it over time. We've carved it up. 
that company in the meantime has been bought three times and chopped into pieces and distributed to the wind. And so even unencumbering ourselves to feel that we were on, uh, you know, stable legal ground, setting aside, you know, the lawyers, uh, you know, fighting open source more generally, but specifically around this, it's really tough. It's really tough. And so, and that's part of the reason, you know, and and Chris is the point you're making earlier that like, when I mean, you can't be too absolutist about this or you like, you won't get anything. You, you actually need to, to be, we, no one likes proprietary blobs, but no one likes binary blobs. But at some level, we want them to be as small as possible and as few as possible. But if, if we don't accommodate them at all, we won't end up with any open source firmware. Yeah, that's right. Um, I mean, I think Stefan uh, Reiner once made, uh, said that um, he rather has um, a couple of binary blobs in the firmware rather than uh, having no firm or no open source firmware at all on on yeah. Intel x86 systems, right? So you have to you have to do compromises over and over again. Um, but I mean, it's really not about demanding the 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 the, the maximum kind of thing, but rather than really going the the journey together and trying to explain and see okay there's also upsides on open source firmware right and this is what you can gain of it right and, and this is how we can move forward together faster um and i had a talk on um on at the ocp uh, global summit now um on how the platform enablement uh, changes with open source firmware right because right now you have the socs and you got like a handful of ibvs who have a very strong connection um and it basically all scales at the IBVs, right? And the IBVs have to enable like all the OEMs and ODMs then uh, in the end, and, and, and there it scales. Um, but if you have open source firmware, um, it scales directly at the SOC and you get more partners, which are, I call them enablement partners, that, that you have a group of people which can scale much, much better and, and can move much, much faster forward uh, and do platform enabling much, much faster, basically, um, because it's open, right? And we can we can kind of collaborate on things. So um, that's that's all these, these kind of tiny bits that you have to explain always one by one so that also the companies really see the upside and want to go that way together with you rather than, you know, just demanding things. Uh, that that will not end up um, very well in the end. Yeah, totally. Sorry, Aaron, I want to. Uh, I can also share. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I can also share the, the way I'm pushing back the circuit sort circuit source story when my vendors are trying to go in this field. Usually, when I'm telling them is, uh, I'm buying you hardware on all time have issue with software, and you are not software vendors, and you are causing me trouble because of you are not doing well the software. Um, you should use the communities, as you're saying, because every time you're trying to do software, you fail. And it's usually pretty efficient. I don't know, I don't know if it works uh, on when, but usually it works. I mean, they understand this point, and I'm asking them to uh, offload the software to someone who knows how to do it and, not trying, and tell them not to do it themselves because they always fail. It's a, it's a drama. You know, it's such an interesting one where, in my experience with the SSD vendor recently, was that that kind of argument resulted them saying, no, we are software vendors. That they, you know, they think that if they're just NAND vendors with a controller, then they're in this commodity market. And you know, every hardware vendor wants to resist commoditization to some degree because then they just see their margins slipping away. Yeah. So they want to be software vendors, adding software features, you know, mostly that we don't want, but 
You know, I'm sure that some folks want them. Yeah, but when we're reporting yeah, issues, he's, he's then the, 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 funny, the, the funny story starts. I mean, all the time we are reporting, we are reporting issues, and it's always about software, never about hardware. So this is how I'm showing them that on this, on this device, you have this, on this bug, so I've reported you and you took this amount of weeks or months to fix it. If, if it had been open, I would have been in a position probably to help you to reproduce, to have traces, to debug, and then to help you finding the, the issue. But as you are trying to close source everything, I'm just consuming your stuff. It's broken. And okay, I'm stuck. Yeah. We're like, hey, no, we're, we're a software company. Like, yeah, hey, no, I know you're a software company. Your software's broken. So that's why I need you to fix it. <laughs> Actually, um, with companies that we work together, so on like my day-to-day -day job, I, um, we are running that, that IBV or that open source IBV. And um, um, the companies that we work with, um, they actually already do fix their own bugs, right? So we provide them like open source firmware, um, have everything up and upstream integrated so they can pull the stuff on their own and can build everything on their own. And what they do nowadays is they say, okay, this is not working. I'm just debugging it on my own and uh, I'm just sending you the link to the patch basically uh, saying or yeah, just writing us and informing us uh, that they fixed it on their own right and that we should take a look at that and that, that it goes upstream in the end um, but they're already eliminating kind of uh, the need for us right in that, in that sense but it's great to see that they are able to debug some of the issues on their own and move forward on their own and not relying completely on us anymore, right? And that, that's like the way to go there. Right, that's the power of open source. We've seen that. Uh, Hamza Jalal, you've been trying to get in here. Oh, you still there? Uh, oh, maybe not. So I um, one peril of uh, doing this early in the morning is we do have, we end up with hard stops here. I mean, you know, we've got, we got hard stops from Adam's toddler normally. When we do that, <laughs> uh, and hard to know actually the toddler, oh, actually no longer really a toddler. Do you still call him a toddler? No, no. He's, he's, he's like a, a real boy now. I, he's totally, I've, it's like Pinocchio. I feel yeah. like, I mean, he, he has always been man sized. So I feel like that. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. No, we do get a bunch of, you know, your eight year old is kind of immature. It's like, no, my five year old <laughs> is kind of large. Yes. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but I'm, I, I assume that you don't have a meeting with him at 10 30 in the Pacific. No, 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 no. I, no, no I hope not. Right, exactly. Uh, your one-on-one -on -one with him is this evening, but um, I, I am going to have a hard stop here in a couple of minutes. So, um, so, uh, and I'll, let's see if we can get uh, him back in here. Um, Hamza Jalal, you are you there? Is the caller there? No, maybe not. Um, so, Christian, if folks want to get involved, Christian, if, they, if folks want to get involved in the Open Source Firmware Foundation, or if they want to add, to kind of point their vendors, their partners in this direction, saying, "Hey, this is something that we're gonna," because you know, Erwin, another thing you could be looking at is like, "Hey, another thing on our scorecard is going to be: Are you participating in the Open Source Firmware Foundation?" I know. Yep, you told me that you're. It's going to be a long journey to open source this stuff, and you're only going to announce the licenses at the next conference or what have you, but can you be a part of the foundation? How should they get involved? Um, so we have an, a homepage. Um, it has a catchy name, opensourcefirmware.foundation. Uh, so it's a pretty, pretty long name, but I think you can also use OSF 
www.foundation uh, to get there. Um, and there you can basically get all the information that you need. Uh, you can sign up to the newsletter if you want to, um, or you can join the Slack channels, or you can just drop us an email. Um, or uh, I think that's that's how you can reach us there. Um, and then you can uh, you can get involved, right? So if you want to be a member, if you want to start one of the the work streams that we have, um, so we have a couple of work streams um, starting right now. Um, which is kind of a focus group on a, on a, on a specific topic. Um, so we have one about like silicon uh, interfaces, like how do I interface a blob? Should we kind of write a standard around that so not, that not every SOC kind of still does their own thing? Um, we have some, some payload handoff right now going on. Um, so there, there's a lot of things um, that we have. I think Philip is running a firmware security uh, work stream. So if you want to get involved there, um, feel free to drop us an email or join on Slack basically and just, um, yeah, just message us. Um, what we also always looking for is people to help like running the whole thing, right? Um, it, it's kind of a beast. Um, there's a lot of like just organizational stuff to do uh, every now and then. So if people want to want to get involved in there, um, that's also just fine, right? So it's not only technical, but also a little bit organizational stuff around it uh, where we can always need a hand, basically. Well, that is great and a, a lot of good starting points for people. You know, I've gotten, I, I think I mentioned this last time, but I've had a lot of young people, younger technologists, technologists that are earlier in their careers, um, who I know have been either joining us on the space or catching the recordings. And if you're a technologist earlier in your career and you're looking back, it's like, boy, I, I wish I had you know, been around in the 70s. I wish I'd been around in the 2000s to be a part of you know, the open source movement or be part of it. Well, you, the good news is like, you're not too late. <laughs> you, there's, uh, but the, the, that's the good news. The bad news is it's hard work. Um, but the, I think open source firmware is going to be a huge trend uh, for all of us in the next 10 and 20 years. And if you are a younger technologist, this is a great thing. There's a lot of work to be done. And I think, you know, Chris, you and Philip have done a terrific job of setting up a foundation that's really welcoming to those new folks. Um, and uh, there's a lot of ways people get involved. So they, and I thought, I love the fact that there were a lot of younger folks uh, in addition to a lot of, you know, again, I would say gray beards, but I can't actually grow facial hair apparently. But the uh, we had a, a lot of older technologists, um, certainly uh, more seasoned technologists, but a lot of younger ones too, which I think is is great. And so there's a lot of ways to get involved. This is a very welcoming community. Uh, I think I actually like the fact that th this is, I think part of the reason it's welcoming is that uh, there's no single dominant technology here. Um, there is people are working on, you know, on C, on Go, on Rust, on like, you know, there's some Python kind of drifting around. You've got like a lot of thing, different languages, different systems. There's not a single dominant operating system here. Um, and I just think that makes it way more open. I feel, I feel that it's not, um, there, there's not a lot of cargo culting here. Uh, people are really very pragmatic and very welcoming. So a lot to get involved with. And, uh, Philip, Christian, thank you for your hard work. I know this has probably been thankless, has felt thankless at various times, but um, you and Nine Elements have really served a, a, an essential and catalytic role here. 
So um, thank you. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having us, right? And thanks yeah, for, thanks for spreading, spreading the word, you know, and supporting us. And uh, yeah, especially also Oxide that, that you, you know, try to do uh, what you can do there. So that it's, it's great to, to work to, with people who share the same mindset and have the same goals, right? And when, then we can all pull it off in the end, I think. Uh, I, it will be nice. I think we can too. And I think we've, we've already made great progress. So um Thank you very much. And then, Adam, thank you for you for fighting the good fight at the, with the SSD vendors. And, and oh, I, yeah, making friends. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Very good. And Erwin, obviously, thank you for, for helping to, to, to put – I mean, everyone's got a role to play um, in, in pushing the industry forward here. Uh, and we all know this is the right thing to go do. So uh, I think working together, I think we can get there. And, and Christian Phelps, love the optimism and love the foundation. And thank you very much for joining us. Uh, and thank you, everyone, for joining us for what is, for those of you European, joining us in the, the evening there, um, in the, the morning here in the Pacific. Sorry, Australia. I know it's the middle of the night for you, but, you know, it's got to be the middle of the night somewhere. So um, I, the, the Perth is not here, I don't think. Um, but um, It's good right. you are making it time compatible with Europe. Thank you. For, well, we for did it this time. Yeah, I, so I, I, I'm going to make no promises. I think we, we would like to make it... Uh, I think we're probably going to, and Adam, you and I will kind of put our heads together and, and uh, we'll probably move it around a little bit, but we want to be, at least have some of these that are time compatible with Europe, because I know it's been, heard that a lot, people wanted to join, but obviously it's the middle of the night, so um, it was good to, good, to, good to be able to do this this time, and I think we'll want to do this at least somewhat regularly. Musk willing. <laughs> <laughs> The elephant in the room. The elephant in the room. Yeah, we'll be next time on Mastodon Spaces. No. That's right. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, thanks, thanks Phil. Thanks. Take care. Yeah. Bye.